recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is also on YouTube, most of the shows anyway, on our Camp Constitution YouTube channel, as well as Podomatic, which we just started a couple of weeks ago, some of the uh, better shows. And uh, for a while, we were ranked number four on Podomatic for conservative rights. So please get a chance to visit our um, our page on podomatic.org, .com, I believe, and you could see our shows, and we'll be posting this show up there as well. And the show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long summer camp, family camp. And next year's camp will be in the beautiful Berkshires of western Massachusetts from August 5th to the 11th. We encourage you to visit our, our um, website where you can find um, the Sam Blumenfeld archives and all kinds of other great things and our Facebook page. And we have a speakers bureau and a lot of other activities. Well, uh, today is Columbus Day. And, and uh, because of that, I have a special guest online, uh, William Brown from uh, Connecticut. How are you doing, William? Oh, great, Hal. It's great to join you uh, on the call here. This is, um, you know, a great weekend uh, for those who are patriots and who respect the spiritual history of our nation. Well, before, um, we're going to talk a lot about Christopher Columbus, and not just the holiday, but the uh, the people who are sort of going against it, it, it is not just Christopher Columbus, but it's anything that any holiday in the United States, and holiday, by the way, as you know, means holy day, but anything yeah. that is uh, something that our culture tre- uh, treasures or has value, whether it be a George Washington, whether it be a Columbus or Christmas or Thanksgiving, the enemies of our nation, or in some cases, just the simpler ones have been misinformed but actually brainwashed by the left. Uh, you know, uh, will will rally against these kinds of days, and Columbus is no no different. Now, a little bit of history of Columbus Day itself. Um, Columbus didn't wasn't too well kn- known by the early settlers of our country because he didn't actually settle the, uh, what became the United States. Uh, but it wasn't it was really after the War for Independence, the Revolutionary War, that Columbus started getting some recognition. And in 1792, the city of New York was the first. Uh, time that he was uh, there was a holiday or he was honored and in uh, 1892 Benjamin President Benjamin Harris passed a proclamation honoring Columbus and uh, suggested people take a day off and time what have you and that was of course the 400th anniversary it didn't become a national holiday until 1937 under Franklin Roosevelt and he was a New Deal leftist so he must be Columbus must be a great guy if if uh, if uh, Franklin Roosevelt thought so. But anyway, it was very much uh, a lot of the um, the people lobbying for the holiday were the Knights of Columbus, which, by the way, as you know, was headquartered right there in Connecticut. It was interesting, too, that there was some opposition to it in the mid-1800s, mainly by Protestants who uh, looked at it as honoring the Catholics. It was a lot of anti-Catholic bigotry, which I think is probably also a motivational factor today. But you know, here you know. But I think Columbus belongs to all of us, whether it be Catholics, Protestants, uh, Americans. Uh, so, Bill, you've done a lot of research on it. You've actually um, you're on the. There was an issue going on in uh, in Connecticut about the statue. So tell us tell us a little bit about that, and you know what what you add to the uh, to the the show here with your knowledge of Columbus. 
Uh, right. Well, um, <clears throat> Lori Cavanaugh, uh, who's the talk show uh, host, I know how you've been on her program a couple of times. Yes, that's right. And uh, she was alarmed by, first of all, that the New London, Connecticut uh, school board had removed uh, Columbus Day and replaced it with Indigenous Peoples Days with no um, no conversation with the public, didn't ask anybody, the parents or anybody about it. So as a result, she did assemble uh, several, I think there were 19 of us who went there to testify at the town council, uh, because in addition to them doing that, they had a woman who was requesting that the Columbus statue in New London would be taken down. So she got people thinking about this. And um, so we went there and gave some testimony, but the town council said they were not considering anything uh, immediately to remove it. But the problem is, is no one gave any consideration to removing Columbus Day from the school uh, calendar until they just did it. <laughs> so just did it. so right. we were there to let them know that it's not a good idea and why. So there were quite a number of people there. Um, <clears throat> as you mentioned, this hostility that has risen against Columbus, um, to me, it's grossly disproportionate moral outrage because despite um, some, of, I think really the, the Spaniards that followed Columbus, uh, they were, you know, some, they were severe people. There were some crimes there, but Columbus himself was a gentleman, very decent, very intelligent, very courageous, and um, a man full of faith. Uh, and he in no way really wanted, you know, slavery. Uh, Spain had actually outlawed slavery, but they had used or, or put people to slavery instead of putting them in prisons. Today, we have prisons full of people and, you know, the taxpayer pays all the bills while people sit in their cells. But in those times, if you were a criminal, you were slaved, or if you were rebelled against the monarchy, you were enslaved. So that's what happened, uh, particularly with the number of the cannibals uh, on the Caribbean islands. The Caribs were uh, the Indians, and they were, um, you know, they were cannibals. A lot of them. So when it came to slavery, uh, the local people there, the more uh, innocent uh, natives, or the, the Arawaks, yes, and the Tainos, they were asking Columbus and the Spanish to protect them from the Caribs uh, because of their cannibalism. And that is why there were a number of uh, Indians during Columbus's initial handling of the situation that were enslaved. Uh, he did not um, continue to be the overseer of the project. Um, so really some of the terrible things that took place later as far as some of the Spanish, which some people like to talk about, had nothing to do with Columbus. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I just want to say uh, Columbus had a tremendous spiritual impetus in his life. I don't think without that he would have ever made that voyage because his voyage was not primarily for commerce. His voyage was because of his vision. Uh, he claimed that uh, the Holy Spirit led him to do that. I mean, who would go on these uh, death-defying <laughs> mission to try to cross the ocean. I mean, originally the the people of that time believed that the earth was round, but not knowing about the American continents, they said to get from Spain over to China or India, the distance would be way too far. You'd never survive it. I mean, think today, someone going from Spain to China and there was no American continents in between. So right. there was a lot of rational thinking as to why that was extremely dangerous. 
But he felt such an inspiration from God uh, that he uh, did this. And what motivated him primarily when you study his writings was that he believed that Jesus Christ was going to be returning within the next few, like 155 years, he thought, from studying the Bible. But he said there were two things that needed to be accomplished before that happened, and the uh, purpose of the church and the saints, the Christians, was to assist the return of Jesus Christ by, number one, bringing evangelism to the whole world, because we know the scripture speaks that uh, Jesus said that the gospel of this kingdom must be first preached in all the world before the Son of Man returns. So he believed in a worldwide evangelism, which was not really being accomplished at that time because the Pope had not sent missionaries over to China. Uh, as there I were guess the, few, other, the, the, the other fact, too, is that the Muslims had conquered Constantinople in 1453, so uh, they had a lot of control of the seas. And the, the other reason was that in order to deal with uh, China, uh, you know, go they had, in order to go to China they had to deal with the Muslims and they had a lot of problems in some cases couldn't get through and so right, well, that's the a, second th- yeah. that's the second spiritual motivation was that the catastrophe of the Muslims uh, taking over Constantinople was also uh, part of their control of Jerusalem and Columbus felt that uh, that, that Jerusalem had to be restored into Christian hands and the temple to be built because as most of your listeners probably know the Romans destroyed the temple back in 70 AD and right. um, but the, so there was really no temple there uh, so he believed that this temple needed to be rebuilt uh, so as you said the Muslims had blocked the Middle East there was no way to get through regarding the trade but uh, Columbus's greater ambition was to restore Jerusalem so that the temple could be built. Because like many people today, they say Jesus Christ will not return until there is a temple built there uh, Mm -hmm. because that's what's described in the prophetic portions of Scripture regarding Jesus returning. So those two aspects, but I have to say too about the Spanish uh, some of their brutality, and they were very hard rulers, the conquistadors and all that. But they have been—they had just been through many wars with Muslims. And this fall of Constantinople, I mean, it was a terrible shock to the whole Christian uh, West. But this fighting, I mean, in Spain, they were still fighting uh, with the Muslims to drive them completely out of Spain. So your inter- the, the, the man, as Columbus, as a man of his time, and even the people that accompanied him, were uh, you know people of war. They 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 lived in a time of war. I mean, it's like World War II. You know, I mean, we always call that the greatest generation in America. Mm-hmm. But now I think most people would admit that most of, of us Americans are rather soft compared to that generation. <laughs> but interesting to that. Columbus- uh- Columbus had pledged a lot of his uh, any gold that he would find to fund another crusade to free the holy city. 
So yes. he, he wasn't there. He His motivation wasn't greed and exploitation, as many of his detractors would say today. There's also some things that some of the misin- – a lot of misinformation you brought up a, a while ago. Uh, there are the, the notion that the world was flat. Well, there may have been a few people that thought that. There's probably a few people today. I think there's something called the Flat Earth Society. But uh, people who knew the Scripture, they knew the Old Testament, Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 40, where he said, It is he, meaning God, who sits above the circle of the earth. And uh, even in ancient times, the various, even the Muslims and the, uh, the Christians, they believed the earth, uh, the earth was round, but, much, but perhaps smaller. And yes. uh, it's funny because that myth... There was a, a homeschool textbook that my children used, and it had that in there. It was put out by a Becca, and I actually called them, and I said, I, I think you should revise this. I said, the people didn't think the earth was flat. And I think, again, I think there was a, some anti-Catholic uh, bias there, and you know, let's perpetuate. And I don't think it was done deliberately, but, you know, it's uh, when you hear something and you think it's true and you go around telling people, other people what you think is true, in fact, is false. So I think they have, and hopefully they've, they've taken that out of there, or at least qualified it. And um, right. there is a uh, Samuel Elliott Morrison, the great historian at uh, Harvard University. Uh, it's hard to say anything good about Harvard today. Interesting that an, uh, a relative of mine, were, they were colleagues. Uh, but he wrote, I think, what, a five, four or five volume uh, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. I mean, it was an incredible story. And he was a defender. And, you know, he's a man that, did the meticulous research and there's a lot of information some of his some of the original documents are still there his son columbus's son wrote a biography about his dad and that's up, uh, available i think the criticism of columbus that he was a great sailor but he wasn't a good administrator i think and he didn't deal with the, you know some of the people he was uh, and it was probably considered harsh so there might be a little bit of truth to that However, um, you know, you, uh, you can be a great sailor. I mean, there's a lot of people who have some great talents in one field and in another field they are not so good. Uh, yeah, well, but I you think know, he, taking on 17 ships <laughs> on his second voyage to create a settlement uh, was a phenomenal, um, you know, responsibility. So as a sailor, he, as a matter of, I just read something regarding a, a Harvard um professor had said he was one of the best dead reckoning uh sailors uh navigators in history it was phenomenal i mean how did he do that how did he before anyone else of his time was able to cross the atlantic was able to get into the uh stream that led him over to the um caribbean area there and to this day that path is the majority you know path of ships that are going to from uh, the uh, Europe or whatever over to the United States or the South America, whatever. I mean, his ability to find that path is remarkable. He was extremely intelligent. You mentioned about the earth um, being round. Even Augustine had said that the earth was round and his uh, and the Greeks had determined the size of the earth, but uh, it were the Muslim Arabs that actually confused the issue because they were the ones who said the earth was smaller. And actually Columbus believed that, and that really helped him to make the launch out to across the Atlantic because he didn't think that, well, no one, no one would think you could traverse all the way from Spain all the way over to China 
it would be impossible. I mean, think about the Pacific, the crossing the Atlantic and Pacific without a break would be impossible in those days. But um, in any case, yeah, the Greeks, Augustine, a lot of the uh, Catholic scholars, they really did believe the earth was round. But his capacity, I mean, take think about that. You know, even he was a brilliant uh, navigator. But to put the responsibility of 17 ships with I don't know how many thousands of people to go over there and start a settlement, that was a huge responsibility. So, just yeah, just I mean, it's not like they they came to these islands and there was convenience stores and grocery stores there. I mean, survival it was an incredible thing just to survive each day. Never mind uh, colonize it. Um, right. There's and a book had, that I. Yeah. Right. There's a book I'm just that I had a lot of rebellion. Uh, I did mention the book, um, the, 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 I think, four or five-volume book, uh, but there's a book that I picked up some years ago. Actually, it was published in uh, 1992 by John Eidsmo, a constitutional attorney and scholar, and it was called mm-hmm. uh, Columbus and Cortez, Conquerors for Christ. And it's, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I gave a copy to Lori, and I just bought another copy. It's 304 pages, but it really is a, uh, does a, is a, does a good job of explaining um, the conditions, the reasons for the exploration, the uh, sort of the culture of the, his day, what was going on in his day, and I mean him, him and Cortez, and what they found. You said earlier the the uh, uh, the Caribs, uh, Caribs were cannibals, and when he when Columbus first heard of that, he didn't believe it. He couldn't believe that any you know that he couldn't believe that, that people would be cannibals. He thought it was impossible, and he determined that it was true. And if we talk about Cortez, and uh, the you never hear when you hear criticism, you always hear the negative. But no one you never hear, hear what the Aztecs did. I mean, they they would have human sacrifices to the tens of thousands, and they would horrible things. They would rip their hearts out and drink their blood. And for some reason, uh, I, I don't know if these uh, these where's the guilt for for the for the victims of the Aztecs. Well, that's why I call it a grossly disproportionate moral outrage, because it's true. I mean, when did Columbus ever sacrifice 20,000 people within a week, you know, for some God? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and when they say that we first off, Columbus never landed in what became the continental United States. And he wasn't the first one, the first European to come to the to you know North America. You know, there were hundreds of years before that, there were various Norsemen that came down and some of their accounts aren't cannot be verified, but we know that they, there's no question that they came to North America. There's accounts of them having trading with the Indians, and um, because the word Indian, let's I think it's important. To, where does that word come from? That word is not a negative word. Uh, Columbus thought he was in the in the Indies, uh, in India, or heading in that direction, and that's where the term Indian came from. It wasn't meant to be uh, disrespectful at all. Right. Well, actually, that leads us to another one of his spiritual motives is other than the evangelism. Uh, actually, one of I think one of the emperors there, Kublai Khan or somebody, wanted missionaries to come and to instruct them regarding uh, Christianity. And he a, a large part of his thinking was that if he could make that contact with the Chinese that were receptive to the gospel, they would actually join forces with the Spanish and other European monarchs to uh, come in against the Muslim control of the Middle East and recapture Jerusalem. 
which, you know, is really amazing because that's right. You know, you know, he actually wanted uh the Chinese and whoever was in India to um you know, to join them. Now, of course, at the time, the Portuguese were given, well, the Pope gave them the right of way to go around Africa and to discover, not discover, but make these sea voyage trips to get around the Muslims uh, to India. But it was really a lot of uncharted land. So, I mean, you know, you can't blame Columbus for not, you know, perceiving all the geography at the time. But his desire to get to the east by sailing, sailing west was, again, motivated not just by commerce. I mean, he really expected to get the gold in order to help the Spanish monarchs uh, recapture Jerusalem, but also to get allies that would create a, um, a more of a, a western or eastern flank that would come in toward <laughs> Jerusalem. But uh, yeah, And then another interesting fact about him was that after his second voyage, he wore a friar's, um, whatever you want to call that, robe or whatever best, the best friar. Man, yeah. yeah, and he wore that for the rest of his life and was buried in that. And every one of his time recognized him as an extremely devout man. Uh, his, his and and really, I think the Franciscan revival of that time is what he joined with because the 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 Pope and the Catholic Church had gone through a huge schism. There was the collapse of Constantinople, and there was a lot of corruption in the church, which actually led to Martin Luther being so successful because people despised a lot of the corruption at the high level of the Catholic Church. But the Franciscans were, uh, there was more of a revival on the street level, and they preached a lot about the return of Christ and holiness. I mean, it's all, you know, really, think about it today. I mean, really, the evangelicals today <laughs> mm-hmm. carry more of this, you know, dynamic and motivation regarding the return of Christ. And today we recognize the Jewish, uh, the fulfillment of the prophecies that whereby the Jews would be returned to Israel. And there's a huge focus today in the evangelical church. I guess you want to call it millennial, millennialism. Right. Or, and, and that is exactly what was taking place with Columbus. I mean, if any... Didn't he actually write a book about the prophecies? Yes, that was the book that he wrote a little later in his life because he claimed that God inspired him to uh, do all this for the uh, purposes that I mentioned, which I would say were three. All of it was based on Jesus coming back. It wasn't just like evangelizing just to evangelize. I mean, he certainly wanted to save the souls of anyone who did not know Christ. And I, I believe he was really a godly man. I mean, he was delivered so many times. I'll just tell you a quick story here. When he went on his, I can't remember his third or fourth voyage, but he went over and he was not supposed to go to where the monarchs had placed a different person in charge. And those people in charge were violent men. They had rebelled against Columbus. There were two of them in particular, and they had turned against Columbus and what happened is there was a hurricane, and he was coming as he was coming over, he wanted to land, and they wouldn't let him land because they didn't like him, and they actually pushed him off the sea. They wouldn't permit him to land where they were and And then stupidly, 
the two leaders that were rebellious, they left in ships to go to Spain, and their ships were destroyed, but he was miraculously, he miraculously survived a hurricane. I mean, now you look at some of these pictures lately mm-hmm. of these hurricanes, even this one that just came on shore, was that Nate who just came on shore down in Mississippi. I mean, I can't imagine a Spanish galleon <laughs> in that kind of a hurricane and yet surviving. And he was even marooned for an entire year. Uh, on um, an island area with somewhat hostile natives that he was able to maintain a good relationship with uh, for an entire year. So God delivered him so many times. I mean, think about it. He he went on a death-defying voyage to a place where people thought for sure it would he would fall off the end of the world or, you know, there would be monsters and all this stuff. And and he all these things in his life really showed a supernatural hand of God upon him. And uh, and he wrote about it in this book called The Prophecies, which was not I don't think it was published in English until like uh, 1982 or something like that. Well, that's but you, you can get it uh, today. And uh, but his uh, and he actually felt he he believed that he had discovered the entrance area of the, uh, he called it the terrestrial paradise, which I believe you'd say would be the Garden of Eden. But he couldn't, um, you know, go, he actually did arrive in the uh, Venezuela, which was part of the uh, South America. So when people say he did not discover America, actually he did. Because, uh, what was the guy's name, Amarius uh, Vespucci? Amarius Vespucci, yes, Amarius Vespucci, that's right. Yeah, yeah that, that was some confusion there, because uh, at the time of the naming of America, people believed that it was he who discovered the American continents, apart from these Caribbean islands. But in the truth is, is it was Columbus who first uh, set foot on South America. So, you know, I mean, he did discover South America, and then later people realized that there was an error there. But America, the first, um, the first map of Northern America uh, was named Americas after uh, this Vespucci, uh, Vespucci but um, the, the, the person who created the map didn't have the real knowledge of the history of what happened. But because that map became so popular to Europeans, you know, the name America stuck. <laughs> so Columbus was sort of cheated out of it. But we do have the District of Columbia. So, you know, well, we people also have, get, um, I understand that there are more parks named after Columbus than any, anyone else. And, of course, you have Columbus, Ohio. And mm-hmm. you mentioned, of course, District of Columbia. That's that's very interesting too. They named it in, in his honor, as well yeah. as um, you know many other uh, places. There's a Columbus Park in Boston, which actually was named recently. I guess back in the 1980s, they were, you know, they were that whole area, the Faneuil Hall area in the North End, and what have you. And uh, the, well, that, Columbus, that... and they still have the parade, the Columbus Day Parade, that just took place. Um, you know, yes, I think it was yesterday or today in Boston. Right. Well, you know, there's 22, which is an amazing number because you don't even have that in Massachusetts or Rhode Island, anywhere near that. But you have 22 statues or memorials uh, in 
can actually 23 now because they they're putting one up in Southington and actually there's going to be a protest because tomorrow morning and being Monday morning of Columbus weekend here. So we we uh, take this show in advance so uh, it's uh, actually this show will air tomorrow will air on Columbus Day but we tape it a, a day in advance. Oh. So. Okay, so uh, in any case, yeah, they're putting up one on Columbus Day in Southington. And um, so, I mean, that's great. They'll be number 23 in Connecticut of memorials or statues. And Antifa has said on their website that they're going to protest. So I don't know. You know know what's fascinating? Because we we use the term cultural Marxists to describe those people that want to. Anything that snacks of Christianity or Americanism must be crushed. Karl Marx himself was a rather repulsive human being. We only have about a minute or so, a minute and a half left. But he, uh, mm-hmm. he was a racist and an anti-Semite, and so why would you want to uh, you know, get get in his camp? You, if you find somebody else who was a, a better character than Karl Marx to to ally yourself with, well, William, who, um, you 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 belong to a few organizations in the Connecticut area. I think as a national organization, tell us a little bit about that and where your listeners might be able to get information. Yeah, well, I, I I work to support the International Christian Concern, which is an organization uh, that um, uh, helps persecuted Christians around the world. And um, so that you can go to persecution.org, you know, to find that. It's similar to Voice of the Martyrs and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I've been involved with the 912 Project, and I'm probably more of just a, a social Christian social activist because I try to pick up wherever I can to support constitutional issues, you know, in Connecticut. And we definitely uh, and, you know, appreciate my, your support. Yeah, my Facebook page is Citizens in Christ for the some of the things we do. But thank you so much, Hal. It's really been great. Well, thank you. And, uh, folks, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio on WBCQ, the planet out of Aristic, Maine, Aristic County, Maine, and heard also on Podomatic and YouTube. And uh, if you like, visit our website, Camp constitution.net until next week may god bless you